Good morning, church. If I can have the children come up here, we've got some stuff for you, got a story for you. Come on up here. Have a seat right over there. How's it going? Good to see you. Good to see you. Good morning. Nice to have you. Hurry to the altar. That's nice. I like that. Very nice. Come on. Come on down. Nice. It's bright. I know it is. Come on up. Come on up. Come on, come up. Oh, nice. Come to the altar here and sit down on the steps. It's awesome. I know. It's hard to look up. I know. I know. All right. There's got to be more room. Make more room. There's more kids. Isn't this awesome, by the way? Amen. Look at this. Look how many kids we have. This is fantastic. Let's see if we can make some room for them. Let's make some room for them. Can you sit up one? Maybe yeah, there you go. Here's some couple of spots right over here. And there's maybe you can go. Can you go up one maybe? And there's a couple of spots over here for you guys this way. Well, you can sit there too. That's fine. Okay. That's whatever works. All right. Good morning. Are you guys, are you guys ready for a story? Yeah. Right from the Bible. Yeah. So the story goes like this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus over for dinner. I love it when people ask me over for dinner. It's good stuff. So Jesus went. I love that about Jesus. He doesn't mind going over for dinner. And he went to the Pharisee's house. He sat down at the dinner table. And just then, just as he was sitting down, a woman of the village, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisees, came to the house with a bottle of very expensive perfume and then when she got there she stood at his feet weeping raining tears on his feet and then loosening her hairband she let down her hair and then with her hair she dried his feet that had gotten all wet from the crying and then kissed them and then began to pour the oil, the perfume, all over them. And it began to smell up the whole house. Smell real good. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Now if this man was really a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman who this is who was falling all over him. So Jesus said to him, Simon, I've I, I got a story to tell you. Oh, tell me, Simon said. Well, there were two men that were in debt to a banker. They owed money to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces, the other only 50. Neither of them could pay up. And so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two was more graceful? And so Simon answered, well, I suppose... You don't really ask me. I suppose it's the one who was given most, the one that owed the 500. That's right, said Jesus. And then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he says, you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greetings, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Her heart is in the right place. Is your heart in the right place today? Impressive, isn't it, Jesus said? 
She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is small, the gratitude is small. And then he turned to the woman and he says, I forgive you your sins. She had her heart in the right place. So I want you to think about that. As you go back to your seats, you grab a heart from Pastor Fred there, and you keep that heart. And remember this story. As a, this, this heart will help you. Here, look, this is what the hearts look like. There's all kinds of colors. But you just grab a heart. And, oh, it looks like you could actually open up the heart. You could put stuff in there. I don't think there's any slime in there. Unless, you know, I mean, it could be. I don't know. But anybody want this red one? You got one? Okay, there you go. You guys go ahead and make your way back up there. That's awesome. All right. So we will come back to that in a little bit. All right. They're grabbing their hearts. Man, we still got some hearts left, just so you know. Some of your older children want to get a heart. You can have one. (laughs) Some hands are going up back there. All right. Speaking of hearts, I want to put up this picture here. Uh, So um, in case you're wondering who this is, this is (laughs) Stud. Thank you very much. That was very nice. I'll give you the $10 later. That's, uh, that's my wife and I on the day we got married. Yeah, now, just so you know, yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, you may not applaud once I tell you why I'm putting that up, but uh, it's not like our anniversary or anything like that, you know, and, it, and it's, you know, we're way past uh, Valentine's Day, you know, and uh, so it's like, why am I putting, but well, let me tell you about this picture This picture right here is the very first selfie that Nancy and I took without a, nice to see you guys here by the way, without without a iPhone or, you know, a smartphone. This was a smart camera. Uh, It was, I believe it was a Canon, which we put on a tree stump put 10-second timer on it, and then ran and paused, you know, there, just, just looking at each other with love and saying, saying to ourselves, come on, hurry up, hurry up, take the, come on, let's go. Very first selfie. I'm telling you right now, that's that picture right there. Today, you know, back then, that, that was kind of like, because like, we didn't have any money. That's what that was, really. You know, that's why we took it. We couldn't afford hiring a professional photographer. So we've got about four of those, I think, somewhere. <laughs> you know, and, uh, uh, but today, selfies are, like, really common. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I mean, there are selfies everywhere. Uh, and it's easy to take. I-, I read somewhere, I kid you not, every day, every day, this is daily, there are 90 million selfies that are taken in the world now. Now, that may not seem a lot to you if you're a teenager, but I want to tell you right now, that's, 
That's a lot of selfies right there, right? Parents with teenagers going, ah, 90 million, that's just my kid. No, no, I'm just telling you right now, that's crazy. In fact, I read that Google last year says that, they, that there were 24 billion selfies uploaded. 24 billion. Come on now. How many of you were one of those 24 billion? Come on now. Yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple of you guys. You know, the selfie picture. I, they never come out right, you know. The truth is not too many pictures come out right with me. But, you know, and then, then there was, um, uh, you know, as I was researching this, I noticed that there was like this whole section called selfies gone wrong. Have you seen those? Now, some of these I can't put up. I'm only going to put up two of them because some of them are really not, you know. I mean, I've been, they're gone wrong. But, you know, like, for example, this one here. I'll, I'll let you spend a little time thinking about that one right there. That was, that was a selfie that it wasn't until later that it was discovered. Anybody here ever take a selfie? Like, like later you're like, whoa, what was, what's that behind me? dog photobombing me here in the back. What's going on with that, right? And then this one, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to see this, but, you know, she's taking, there's actually three sections to this. She's taking a selfie, but if you zoom in in the back, and you probably can't see that, but those are her kids putting their baby inside a cannon right there in the back. <laughs> I wonder how much trouble they got in, right, when that selfie was... Uh, discovered right imagine they're seeing this oh what a nice place. wait wait what is what are you guys what are you guys doing back there you know that's crazy stuff right there um on a sad note um under this section called selfies gone wrong uh i read that uh, in the last two years more than 50 people died taking daring selfies You know, let me take a selfie here, climbing this peak. Let me take a selfie as I jump out of this airplane. I want to talk to you this morning about another kind of death by selfie. Are we good with that? I mean, what is our fascination with selfies? Maybe we don't even need the IE afterwards. Maybe the problem is that we have a fascination with self. Is that possible? I mean, think about it. I remember uh, when I was growing up, we had like Time Magazine, Life Magazine, then People Magazine came. Now you have like Self Magazine, Me Magazine, you notice this? Like even our magazines are kind of reflecting this, this, this love with self. I want to talk about this love with self that we have. There's this parable in Luke. Uh, and it starts off with this. It's kind of like saying, look, let me just tell you why Jesus was telling this parable. It starts off with saying, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. Anybody here confident of your own righteousness? Don't raise your hand. To some 
who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men, two men went up to the temple to pray. And a Pharisee, one was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Oh God. I love this. He starts off with appreciation. Thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, you know, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Great guy, isn't he? But the tax collector, Jesus is still telling the story, stood where? At a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, I'd be tempted to say, God, have mercy on that guy. But he's sitting there and he's saying, God, have mercy on me. I tell you, Jesus says, that's all he said, I tell you that this man, this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted. I want to talk to you this morning about another kind of death by selfie. It's the one Jesus talks about here. So I've got three observations that I want to share with you from this story about the Pharisee. Is that okay? I guarantee you there's way more. I'm just going to give you three. Okay, first one. Self-righteous people go to church. Two. So just because you're in church doesn't necessarily mean that you are exempt from this problem. See, going to church doesn't mean that you are justified. Are, we, are you with me with this? Right? Uh, self-righteous people pray too, just like this man prayed. Have you noticed that? Self-righteous people study their Bibles. Self-righteous people pay tithe. They fast. You know, the, the requirement was to fast once a year, the Day of Atonement. Not this guy. No, this guy fast twice a week. Self-righteous people, they can fast. They can tithe. Fast. Are you following what I'm saying here? Self-righteous people say amen. <laughs> Sorry, I set you up for that. See, now, there is nothing wrong with saying amen, right? There is nothing wrong with tithing, please. Don't let me, you know, steer you the wrong way. There's nothing wrong with fasting, studying your, your Bible, praying. There's certainly nothing wrong with going to church. 
There's nothing wrong with these things. They are commendable. We should be doing these things. But these actions, Jesus is saying, do not justify us. They cannot earn us favor with God. I hope at this point in your walk with God, at least you've reached this level of maturity. Where you realize that going to church should not be some duty. That's something that you do so that you can earn favor with God. There is no such thing. You should come to church because Jesus is irresistible to you. That's it. You should come to church because you are longing and craving for the community that you have here at Richland Church. You should come to church because you cannot help but sing of his love. You should come to church because you cannot help but to hear about his word and his wonderful ways. You should come to church because Jesus and God are irresistible to you, not for any other reason. You should pray for those same reasons. You should tithe and fast and study your Bible for those same reasons. You say amen for those same reasons, but not, please, not to be, come across as somebody that's holier than somebody else. The danger of self-righteousness is that it feeds itself on goodness. I want to repeat that. The danger of self-righteousness is that it feeds itself on goodness. So the more good you do, the more self-righteous you can feel. You got to be careful about that. There's this great quote, and this is not the one, worship people, from Isaiah that goes like this. But we are all like what? How many of us? And all our righteousness is like what? Filthy rags. Just elaborated fig leaves. That's all they are. Right? So, um, number two, moving right along, is that self-righteous people like to compare themselves to others. Right? I'm not like the robbers. I'm not like this tax collector. I'm not like these other sinners, right? I mean, you know, look, let, let's be honest. That's like me saying, I, you know, I could bench press more than my grandmother. I mean, let's, right, let's think about that for a second. Like, really, that's what you're comparing yourself to? You know, if you're going to compare yourself to somebody, it ought to be Jesus. Right? Nobody compares themselves, by the way, to Mother Teresa. Nobody compares themselves to people. No, I'm being serious, right? No, no, we compare ourselves to like sinners, right? Because, you know, then we can feel good about ourselves. In September of 1994, the Associated Press reported a demonstration by Indian farmers in New Delhi, India. And they were protesting the government uh, that was uh, going to try to import, catch this, Three million tons of freeze-dried dung from the Netherlands. If you don't know what dung means, look it up in the biblical dictionary. <laughs> and now these Indian farmers were going, why? We have plenty of cows. There's no shortage of cows in India here. 
And plus, they're not going to be compromised by pesticides here. So why are we, in fact, in protest, a hundred Indian farmers, it says, rolled six ox carts piled high with top quality, homegrown dung right up to the parliament. And I think it got their attention. But see, let's be honest. Allow me a little freedom here for a second, right? What this Pharisee was basically saying is, as he's comparing, is my dung is better than his dung. You know, that's really all he's saying. Are you you following me at all? I mean, that's all he's saying. I mean, it's just, come on. My doesn't have any pesticide. How we do it out there, okay? I love this, this quote by Theodore Roosevelt that says, Comparison is the thief of joy. Do you believe that? Paul in Corinthians says, Oh, don't worry, we wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other. (laughs) Using themselves as the standard of measurement. And then he says, how ignorant. (laughs) Imagine you using yourself as the standard. I'll never forget, you know, uh, my dad passed away some years ago of cancer. Uh, He was a heavy smoker. And back in those days, you know, it was very acceptable to smoke and everything. Uh, And I was 14 years old. 14 years old. And he caught me smoking. And he sat me down. One of those father-son talks, you know. I'll never forget, uh, you know, sometimes my dad would say stuff that was just so wise. And so I pulled out the old card, you know, hey, hit that, hold on, man. Don't, you know, look, you smoke. Right? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He says, well, if I was trying to make you like me, I'd really fail. I want you to be better. I mean, think about that. I want you to be better. Now, don't use that if somebody calls you a hypocrite. My dad already used it. Number three. Moving right along. Self-righteous people are condescending. They make people around them feel what? Small. Have you ever met somebody that made you feel small? Uh, sometimes we do it, and we don't even realize we're doing it. And if we found out that we did it, it would, we would be mortified. Isn't that true? But there are people that actually do it so that they can feel better about themselves. There are people that actually try to be condescending so that they can feel better about who they are. Because if I can make you small, then I feel bigger. The reality is that the more they talk big, 
the more they are filled with smallness. It is their insecurities that makes them talk big. You know what I'm saying? I love this quote by uh, Mark Twain. Keep away from people who try to what? Belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that. But the really great make you feel that you too can become great. I read about uh, this man that was, um, he was an advisor to both uh, President Kennedy and the president right before him. Who was that? Was it Eisenhower, I believe? Yeah. And uh, he said, you know, when I would go in with each one of these presidents, I knew that I only had about 15 minutes with them. That's all I had, you know. I would go in and, and, and meet with President Eisenhower within 15 minutes. It didn't take long. I was convinced what a great man he was. And when I would go and meet with President Kennedy, there would be two things that I'd be con- convinced of. Number one, I'd be convinced that right now, for those 15 minutes, I was the most important person in his world. And number two, I realized what a great man I was. Can you imagine being the kind of person that when people connect with you, they feel better about themselves? And they're, they're not sitting there going, wow, what a, what a great guy Sergio is, right? No, they're sitting there going, man, when I'm with Sergio, when I'm with Fred, when I'm with Doug, I just feel like I'm important and that I matter. On the other hand, the one that the Bible says, the one that Jesus says walked away justified, it said that what? He what? Stood at a distance. Why? See, I believe that the closer we come to God, and these are not my words, I read these from some inspired people. The closer we come to God, really what happens is the more faulty we appear in our own eyes. The farther away we are from God, the more we think great about ourselves. Are you following me? So the key is to do what? Get closer to God. Not so that we experience this feeling of, of faultiness, but, but we can experience true humility. And you've heard me say this before. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You're not taking as many selfies, if you know what I mean. So the Bible says that this guy stood at a distance and he prays, Father, forgive me. He would not even look up to heaven, it says. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Please, God, please. You know, Jesus, in the book of Matthew, goes through this list. And when we first read it, it's, it's a little disheartening. 
I'll read you some of it so that you know where I'm at. You have heard this, that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Does this sound familiar? See, any one of us could say, look, I'm not, thank you God, but I'm not like this murderer. But I don't know if there's anybody in this room that can say, I've never been angry with somebody. Or maybe even taking that anger a little further, I've never hated anybody. See, Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, anybody could get to the point. You don't need Jesus to not be a murderer. You just need a good psychologist, maybe. But you need Jesus to transform your life into somebody that doesn't get angry or hates people. He said, you have heard it said uh, that you do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I can tell you this right now. My wife cured me the, as soon as we got married. She said to me, if your eyes offend you, I will pluck them out. That's what she said to me. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm good with that. <laughs> Been happily married for 31 years. Yeah. But now here's the thing, right? Can any of us say that we have not, and not just men, by the way. Let's be honest here. Men and women, can we actually say that we have never lusted for somebody else? See, that's a lot more difficult, isn't it? Some of us have struggled with this concept right here, big time. I mean, how, how can we get to that part? And then Jesus goes on, he says, again, you have heard it said that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem. And he goes on and on, he says, simply let your uh, yes be yes and your no be no. Anything behind this com comes from the evil one. In other words, what Jesus is saying, look, you know, you could talk about not lying and you could talk about not swearing oaths, but let me tell you what the real problem is. The real problem is that you need to live an authentic life. That's what I'm looking for. And this is the problem between that Pharisee and the tax collector. One was authentic, the other one was not. This is the problem with Simon at the, at the house uh, with, uh, and, and the village woman comes and starts crying. She might have been the, uh, a more outward sinner than Simon, but I tell you what, she was more authentic than Simon was. You see this over and over and over again. And what Jesus is saying is, and then he ends the whole thing, by, by the way. He says, uh, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may have... Uh, that you uh, may be sons of your Father in heaven. And then he ends the whole discussion by saying, be perfect. That's a scary word. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this is, this is intentional. This is so that the disciples are sitting there going, oh, that's just, come on now, that's impossible. Bingo. That's what I wanted you to say. 
See, God doesn't, and this is, just, just stay with me on this. God is not looking for us to be moral. God is looking for us to be holy. There's nothing wrong with being moral. It's good to have, to stay out of jail, <laughs> to not get your eyes plucked out by your wife. Those are all good things. It's good to be moral, to, to be courteous, to be kind. All those things are one. But, you know, I meet a lot of people that are non-believers that can be very moral. Isn't that true? If that's the case, who needs Jesus? I'll tell you who needs Jesus. It's people that read this and say, look, I don't want to just not murder. I don't want to just not commit adultery. I don't want to just not tell, you know, lies. I want way more than that. I need transformation. And the only one that can transform my heart is Jesus Christ. That's it. So when he says, be perfect, I'm like, yeah, I can't, but that's, that's okay. I connect with me. Jesus says, because I am perfect. And when we are before God's throne, God doesn't see me. Who does he see? Jesus. That's why that man walks away justified. Because he stands at a distance, and there is nothing in him. He's like, man, I'm just, I'm a failure. Please, God, forgive me. He asks for compassion and mercy. We look through the Bible and we look at the great men of the Bible. You know, Moses says uh, to God when he's before the burning bush and, and he hears God speaking through the bush and he says, take off the shoes because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I mean, really, why me? Who am I? And then Isaiah has this vision in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, and, and he's like totally like he, he can't believe it. And it says, Isaiah says, Woe to me! I am what? Ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Can I just be honest with you right now? I think, I think we all talk about, about being in the presence of God, and we all believe that God is here. We believe in his presence. But can I be honest with you? If you actually actually truly saw him and experienced him, there would be some trembling in this room. We may think that there was an earthquake coming. Because if we were really truly in the presence of God, I mean, knew that, like fully aware of it, because we know we are, but fully aware of it, totally, we would be like, wow, I am ruined. I mean, it would only take God's love and grace to lift us up and say, it's okay. For I am a man of unclean lips. I am a man of unclean heart. I am a man who desperately needs God. And then uh, let's look at Daniel. What about Daniel? I mean, you know, you read the book of Daniel and there was not one thing wrong you can, as humans, see but Daniel. Daniel is a pretty, he's pretty good. Isn't he? I mean, you look at Daniel's life and you're like, wow, how is that possible? And look what Daniel says. While he was speaking to me, I looked down at the ground, unable to say a word. And then the one who looked like a man touched my lips 
And I opened my mouth and began to speak. It was like I couldn't even speak until God could just touch my lips. At that point, I, I don't know what I was going to say, but, but all of a sudden I got this power to, to speak. And this is what I said. I said to the one standing in front of me, I am filled with anguish because of the vision I have seen, my Lord, and I am very weak. How can someone like me, your servant, talk to you? My Lord, my strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Have you ever experienced the presence of God so much so that, that, that that's what you said? That, like, God, I, I don't even know what to say. There are times where I'm in my car, and I'm driving, and I'm talking to God, and as I'm talking to God, I am just saying, God, please, I, I, why me? Why did you choose me? I mean, I'm, I'm so bad at this. This is, why, God? Please, God, help me. Help me to be the person that I pretend to be. Help me to be the person that you want me to be, God. I am just not worthy of this. Yeah, please help me. Please, please let no one in this congregation that, that you've, you've entrusted me with, please ever lose sight of who you are because of me, Lord. Please keep me safe. Because you are worthy, God. And see, if I were to say the biggest difference between the Pharisee who looked up and the tax collector who looked down is that the Pharisee looked up but never saw God. He just saw himself. But the tax collector who looked down never saw himself but saw God. So I want to leave you with this question. You know the difference between paint and stain? Of course you do. Paint is something that is applied to the surface to cover things up. But stain, stain is something that goes really deep. It soaks in far below the surface. So what do you want to be? You want to be paint? Or you want to be stain? You want to, you want to just kind of cover yourself up? Or do you want the blood of Jesus to stain you so deeply that it just causes a relationship with the living Lord that is deep and abiding? Pain or stain? Paint or stain, I should say. It's your choice.